John 1.14 says, The Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. We have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. Our prayer is that you might see God's love and faithfulness as you listen to our Sunday morning message here at First Methodist Bryan. Church, can we give an amen to Angela for singing for us? And for the Lord, I know all that she does is for the Lord. We are very grateful. I am glad to be back. I have missed you. I've not preached for seven weeks. I think that's the longest time in my life. Seven weeks at 30 minutes a sermon. I got three and a half hours today. I am built up. Um, Believe me, it won't take that long. But I do have a word from the Lord, a fresh word that the Lord gave me, and I'm excited to share it. And I want to read a text from 1 Samuel chapter 15. And I want you to know this is an uncomfortable Bible story. It's the truth. It's how King Saul ended his term as king. And there's some pretty gory things that happen. Hear the word of the Lord. As Samuel, the prophet, turned to go, King Saul tried to hold him back and tore the hem of his robe. And the prophet Samuel said to the king, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today and has given it to someone else, one who is better than you. And he who is the glory of Israel will not lie, nor will he change his mind, for he is not human that he should change his mind. Then King Saul pleaded again, I know I have sinned, but please at least honor me before the elders of my people and before Israel by coming back with me. So that I may worship the Lord, your God. So Samuel finally agrees. And he went back with him and Saul worshiped the Lord. And then Samuel said, bring King Agag to me. Agag arrived full of hope. For he thought. Well, surely the worst is over. I've been spared. But Samuel said, As your sword has killed the sons of many mothers, now your mother will be childless. And Samuel cut Agag to pieces before the Lord at Gigal. And then Samuel went home to Ramah. And Saul returned to his home at Gibeah, of Saul, and Samuel never met with Saul again, but he mourned constantly for him. And the Lord was sorry he had ever made Saul the king of Israel. 
Then chapter 16, verse 1. And now the Lord said to Samuel, You've mourned long enough for Saul. I've rejected him as king of Israel. And so fill your flask with olive oil. Go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I've selected one of his sons, which will be David, to be the king. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Lord, we thank you for your word. I pray today that the power of the Holy Spirit would be at work through me and in each one. Lord, help us not to be intentionally deaf today or willfully blind. But give us ears to hear, eyes to see, and a heart willing to obey you. In the name of Jesus, I pray Let the church say amen. I want to focus on chapter 16, verse 1. And the Lord said to Samuel, you've, lo- you've mourned long enough. For Saul. I spent the first four days of sabbatical attending a clergy and spouse retreat in Rudoso, New Mexico. Karen and I shared with uh, four other couples in ministry, the highs and the lows of ministry, and we we uh, listened empathetically and we prayed emphatically for one another. I don't think anyone was really burned out, but all of us were weary. And so when Jeff gave his children's sermon today and he emphasized Matthew chapter 11, verse 28, I resonated with that because I've been meditating on that verse for a month. I memorized it as a kid in the King James English, the original English. Amen. Come to me, all ye who are weary and heavily burdened, and I will give you rest. In the NIV, come to me, all of you who are weary and are carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. This is what I've been focused on for about a month, and the Lord showed me what I needed to do because I'm a little bit of an overachiever. I read a great big book entitled All the Prayers of the Bible, so I've read them all, but I also had a book on my shelf that's been sitting there. Has anybody ever given you a book and then you didn't read it? And it just sat there. Are you lying in God's house, people? Do not lie. I know that happens to you. So i got to be honest and tell you, Reverend Joe Fort gave me a book about 10 years ago. It was a Christmas gift for all the pastors. He wrote a really nice, encouraging note because he was all, he's always an encourager, and he was as my DS. And it was a book entitled With Christ in the School of Prayer. And Joe, i got to confess to you, I did not read the book that you gave me because I already had the book. 
I had it in seminary. It's a classic book. So then I took your book and I put it right next to my book. I had two books, same book. But the Lord said to me, Rick, you need to take that book. Joe wanted, wanted you to learn to pray, and, and I know you prayed for us. And so I took that book, and it's 31 chapters, and every day I read one chapter, and I prayed. And when I was home, I'd go upstairs to our guest bedroom, where I have a chair. It's my prayer room up there. Uh, it's a guest bedroom, so it's decorated in things I like, which y'all know what that is, Snoopy and Charlie Brown. So it's all there. But the chair is an old chair. It's about 100 years old, I think. My grandparents sat in that chair. Mama and Papa sitting. I inherited that chair and one more thing, and that's, that's all from them. I love that chair. It's so old. When you sit in it, it squeaks. If you move around, y'all ever had a chair that squeaks like that? That's my prayer chair. I, I kind of think... My grandparents would pray in that chair, but I wonder how they did because they had 11 kids. How do you pray with 11 kids in a two-bedroom house? I do not know. But that was their chair. That's where I go to pray or on the back porch. The Bible says you need to have a prayer closet, and to me, that, that's my place. So I prayed, and I got, and, and I got to tell you that I know the Lord spoke to me during my time. I kept a journal. I don't usually keep a journal, but I did. I wrote down things that I know the Lord said to me through the Holy Spirit. I appreciate your prayers for Karen and I during this time. It's been a time that I did not earn sabbaticals are not earned they are a gift i appreciate the gift of the church and the sbrc committee and on about the third day the lord had already spoken to me about some things but on the third day i was reading a devotional and i was praying and then boom you ever you ever get ready to take a shower and you go in and you turn the hot water on and you think, okay, the hot water's on. And then you go in, and it hasn't warmed up yet. And you walk in, and whoo! That feeling, that was the feeling when I read this verse. The verse was 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Samuel, you have mourned long enough for Saul. So before I apply this verse to my life and the circumstances of our church, it might be good to study it, to make sure we take it in context, and to find out what actually happened then so we can apply it now. Go back to the book of Exodus. God had raised up Moses to lead his people out of slavery in Egypt. God led them miraculously, parted the Red Sea. They go through the Red Sea. And almost immediately, once Moses goes up to Mount Sinai, 
the people convince their spiritual leader, Aaron, to make a golden calf because they wanted to be like everybody else. Everybody else had an idol. They wanted to be like everybody else. Church, listen to me. Christian believer, listen to me. Be very wary of the temptation to be like everybody else. Amen? And so that whole generation that God had baptized into salvation through the Red Sea, all of them died, never getting to see the promised land except Joshua and Caleb. That's it. Forty years they wandered in the desert. They would go one place being led by a pillar of fire or a cloud and and then the Lord would have them there for a while and the Lord would say, you've been there long enough. Just move on. Then later on they'd get to another place in Deuteronomy chapter 2 verse 3. God says to them, you've been in the hill country long enough. Turn north. It's time to go. And they only went when God told them to go. And they hear God's voice clearly. And then, after they've been there long enough, according to God, they move on. When you get past the first five books, the Torah, you get into the book of Judges. Hundreds of years are covered in the book of Judges. There's a cycle of obedience disobedience. A cycle of going in to conquer the land, losing the land because of disobedience. God raises up men and women, both, to be judges, the leaders of the people. But there comes a time when the people of God want to be like everybody else, and they say, we want a king. Which is, in effect, saying, God, we don't want you to be sovereign over us anymore. We want to be like everybody else. Church, be wary when you are tempted to be like everybody else. It will lead to destruction. God says, okay, you want to be like everybody else? Okay. But God chose a king for them. What, what were the qualifications to be the king? Well, he ended up being the tallest person, the tallest person, because obviously we should vote for our politicians based on height, right? So the tallest person and a good-looking guy, maybe the handsomest guy. I try to picture this guy looking sort of like Chris Hemsworth who plays Thor in Marvel Comics. Some of you don't even know who Thor is. And I can't help you today. The prophet Samuel is told to go and anoint Saul as the first king. So God appoints Saul. Like a bishop appoints a Methodist pastor. Sometimes it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. Really, it's up to the pastor and the people. But in this case, the appointed one, the man who was supposed to be the leader. He was supposed to be on his, on his knees 
in obedience to the Lord. He was supposed to acknowledge that the Lord is sovereign. He was supposed to have a heart for God. Saul had no heart for God. Did you know there were only three kings in Israel before it split into north and south Judah and Israel? There are only three kings in the whole history of Israel. I'll give you a history lesson today. King Saul, who had no heart for God. Can you do that with your hands right here at your heart? No heart, Saul. The next king was David. He had a whole heart. Put a hole up here. He had a whole heart for God. If you do this, you'll remember all the history of Israel's kings right here. And then the third king was Solomon. He had half a heart. Saul, no heart. David, whole heart. Solomon, half a heart. You might want to think about that when somebody asks you, do you have a heart for God? And look at those three men. Saul had no heart. He was supposed to be obedient. But instead, here was this person put in charge of all government authority and he was disobedient to the Lord. He defied God's holy standards. Can you imagine a politician that would do that? I guess we don't have to imagine it, do we? That seems to be the whole history of the world. Saul was a calamity, a catastrophe, a tragedy, and it ends up on this day that the prophet Samuel has an appointment and he goes and meets with the king and he's going to break bad news. God has said to you, O king, you are a lost cause and your time is up. The anointing has been removed from you and you are going to be replaced. And it says in the text, by someone better than you. I bet that hurt a little bit. Don't you think? Someone better than you. And at that moment, Saul wanted desperately to hold on to power like politicians do. And he grabbed the robe of the prophet Samuel, which you should never do, and ripped the hem of the garment. I want to stop right here. When I thought about that, I thought, you know, there's another place in Scripture where there's a hem of the garment. In the New Testament, there's a lady who's sick almost all her adult life. And she touches the hem of the garment of Jesus. And Jesus feels power going out of him. And she is healed. And Jesus even turned around and said, who touched me? And she admits it. And she is healed. All the power of Jesus. And yet here is the king wanting desperately to hold on to power. And he rips Samuel's garment, and Samuel says, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today. 
He's given it to someone else, one who's better than you. And then he says, and he who is the glory of Israel will not lie. God does not lie. Nor will he change his mind. For he's not human. That he should change his mind. Church, be very wary. If anyone ever says to you, that something used to be wrong, but now God says, it's okay. When somebody says to you that what the Word of God has always said and what 2,000 years of church teaching has said, and then they come and say, never mind, God changed his mind, be very wary because God does not lie and God does not change his mind. King Saul pleaded for Samuel to worship with him. One more time. If you read the text carefully, you, if you heard me read it, you heard me emphasize me. How many times did Saul say me, me, me? He wasn't worried about worshiping God. It was about him. Saul had no intention to worship. He had no heart for God. It was just about me. He wanted to be seen worshiping. Church, be very careful when you want to be seen. Because that's pride. And contrary to what our culture says, pride is a sin. It shouldn't be celebrated on the streets. It's a sin. So the prophet Samuel then ended worship in a way that I guarantee you worship has never been ended that way before and not since. He called for King Agag to be brought in at the end of worship. Agag kind of hoped he was going to get a, a pardon. And instead, the prophet had to do what the king would not do, and he executed justice. And he said, you have slaughtered the children of Israel. You have butchered them. And now your mom, your mom's going to be childless, just like you left the mothers of Israel. And the prophet cut Agag to pieces. And then Saul went home. Samuel went home. They never saw each other again. They never talked again, ever. There's a period of time between the end of chapter 15 and the beginning of chapter 16. There's a period of time. We don't really know how much time, but there's a period. And then it says the word, the Lord said to Samuel, you've mourned Long enough for Saul. You see, the Lord, the Lord was showing Samuel grace in his grieving. He gave him time. The Lord allowed Samuel to grieve in his own way. Brothers and sisters, my friends, please let people grieve in their own way. Don't tell them how to grieve. That's not going to help them. 
do not tell people how to grieve. You may think they're doing it wrong. Maybe they're just doing it different than you. Let them grieve in their own way. At the same time, the Lord may use you to go and comfort someone and to speak on behalf of the Lord and say to them, give them permission to do something. And that's what the Lord does here. The Lord comes to Samuel and he speaks and he he really gives Samuel permission to move on. It's good to have someone that cares about you say to you, you've done all you can. You can't change the past. It's a lost cause. You've grieved over it. It's okay. Move on. That's a gracious word to say to people. Gives them permission. One of my favorite preachers is Dr. Tony Evans. He has a saying about lost causes that the Lord gave me during sabbatical. Dr. Evans says, never let what you have lost make you forget what you still have. Will you say that with me? Never let what you have lost make you forget what you still have. Let's say it one more time. Never let what you have lost make you forget what you still have. That's a, a statement that gives you freedom to move on. I've shared with you what happened in this story. Let's apply it now to our church, and then at the end, I'm going to apply it to your life. I'm going to ask that you apply it to your life. But let's apply it, what we've learned. First thing you ought to learn from this story is, number one, God grieves. Did you know that God grieves? God grieves over sin, grieves over your sin. He grieves over the sin of the church. He grieves over the sins of the world. He sent his son to die on the cross. His son, the Bible says, knows our griefs and bears our sorrows. God grieves. It even says in 1 Samuel 15, verse 35, the Lord regretted that he had made Saul king of Israel. That means God was grieving too. Not because it wasn't God's will that Saul would be king, but simply that it was never God's will that Saul would be disobedient. He gave Saul every chance to change his heart. But the ungodly choices of Saul led to his demise. My friends, this has been my grief over the United Methodist Church for a long time. There are sad consequences over the split in our church. The split in our church is for a lot of reasons, really comes down to two. Rejection of the sovereignty of God's word and authority of God's word and the acceptance of sexual immorality. That's what it comes down to. 
And I have grieved over this. And I believe that on the third day of my sabbatical, during prayer, the Lord said, Rick, you have grieved long enough over the United Methodist Church. I said, okay, Lord, but you know, you don't just snap your fingers, Lord, and it's all over emotionally. The Lord knows that. That's not the way grief works. But there is a place where the Lord gives you permission and says, you've grieved long enough. Never let what you have lost make you forget what you still have. It's time to get your head up and keep walking and moving on. The second thing you ought to learn in this story is you should grieve. What kind of what kind of prophet would Samuel be if he didn't look at this situation and grieve? What kind of prophet would do that? What kind of pastor would I be if I have not been grieving for a year? Paul Tripp writes about this in a book. He says, quote, pastors and ministry leaders, there are moments in lo local church ministry when it's not only right to grieve, it's your calling to grieve. As God's representative, you must faithfully depict the heart of God in these sad situations. You must not be uncaring. You must not be happy. You must not take a proud, I told you so posture. Your ministry should be marked by moments of mourning in the face of the damage that sin continues to do. I can say amen to that. Can you? Third thing I learned from this, and I hope you learned, is that your grief should not paralyze you, but motivate you. You ever been paralyzed by grief, or you just like you can't get anything done? It messes with your mind, it messes with everything, it messes with your soul. You just can't get it done because you're paralyzed. That's unhealthy grief. Grief ought to motivate you. I ended my sabbatical going to a prophecy conference entitled The Last Word, The Last Prayer of the Bible. I've said this before to you. Do y'all know what the last prayer of the Bible is? Maranatha, Lord come. I've been praying that. And I've been getting a change of mind, hoping that the Lord comes. Wouldn't it be great if the Lord came right now? First of all, you're thinking, oh good, we can go to lunch. But no. I'm looking forward to the Lord coming. He said he was coming again. We need to live in eager anticipation that the Lord Jesus is coming back. He could come back in our lifetime. That's our hope. I don't know. I don't ever want to speculate like that, but I want to have in my heart a prayer. Maranatha, Lord, come. I'm ready. The last thing you ought to learn from this story is that there is grace for the grieving. There is grace for the grieving. Did you see how God tenderly dealt with his own Samuel. He didn't make Samuel grieve in a certain way. 
He didn't even make Samuel move on. He just said, Samuel, you've mourned long enough. I'm giving you permission. It's okay. It's okay. You can move on. You can. You can move on. There's grace for the grieving, my friends. And I don't know what you're grieving about, but I hope you'll know that God's grace is there with you. So now that we've applied this to the church, it's time for you to apply it to you. The Lord said to Samuel, you've grieved long enough for Saul. Let me ask you a question. What have you grieved long enough about? I know some people in the last church I served who sadly their marriages ended in divorce. Even my leader of the couples class after 25 years of marriage, their marriage ended. They gre- we grieved in our church. It was grievous. And I walked with, with David through that time. For years, he just couldn't get over it. For years. And I tried to speak a word to him and say, David, you've grieved long enough, man. You've grieved long enough. You felt like a failure long enough. You've been feeling guilty long enough. Lift your head up and keep walking. Maybe that's where you're at today. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe you've grieved over somebody that you love. I've been grieving for two and a half years over my brother. And the Lord spoke to me during this time. He said, Rick, you've grieved long enough for John. Don't don't ever let what you've lost make you forget what you still have. But lift your head up. On sabbatical, I even drove back home to the place where my brother and I grew up. It was such a small house. I did not know how small the house was. Have you ever done that? You ever gone back to the house you grew up in? It's like, it's an outhouse. It's like so small. I went there and I thought about the times my brother and I played football in the street. Concrete football. Stupid people. I thought about the times my brother snuck in the window of the house to avoid my dad's ever-listening ear when my brother came in at 3 a.m. in the morning. You've grieved long enough. Maybe it's somebody that died and you've grieved for them. Maybe it's some addiction or sin in your life and you've been dealing with how you feel and You need to hear. You need somebody to say to you. You need a word of grace that says you've grieved long enough over this. Maybe it's some other kind of brokenness. I don't know. But I know this, that the Holy Spirit will speak to you and will say to you, if you will listen, you've grieved long enough. This altar was built so God's people could come and pray. 
I'm going to invite you to come and pray. I'm going to end my message with prayer. My hope and my prayer is that the Holy Spirit spoke to your heart today, that you will personally apply this word so that you will be able to say that you heard from God when he said to you, you've grieved, you've mourned long enough. Get your head up and keep walking. Father, I thank you for your word, your living word, the sword of the Spirit. I pray that the Holy Spirit would speak to the hearts of the people. I know you've spoken to mine. Father, there, there are people here right now, and they're dealing with this word from you that you've grieved long enough. I pray that you would give them healing, that they could put the past behind, never forgetting, never forgetting what they had just because they lost something. Father, do your will in their hearts. I pray that we would have a whole heart for you and that you would work right now in the name of Jesus. Thank you for listening with us. Amen. We hope that you have encountered the risen Jesus today. If you want to hear more, please consider subscribing. We would also welcome you to join us in person. For more information, please visit us at fmcbryan.org.